And now it's time for our guest speaker, Sherry Rose. And um, I know that you all are familiar with um, Sherry from the little things we sent out, the little brochures. I don't know how much new that I can say, except that she has a very accomplished speaking engagements. I know she's been very busy and just moving to California, I heard, from Oregon, from Bend, Oregon. So we welcome you here. And uh, we hope this will be your home for a long time, so you'll be closer to us. Okay, Sherry has a very refreshing uh, way of bringing God's word to light. She knows how to renew the eternal hope in our hearts. And just being with her for the short time that I've been with you, we, we talk about the Lord pretty much all the time and how we, you can just see that love with each other. And um, she's married. And her husband, Steve, 20 years, and her son is here today, and her daughter and her mother. So she has a wonderful family backing her up. And um, she does have her books and her DVDs in the back, so maybe perhaps later you'll have some time to look at that. But um, Sherry has talked to over, I guess, 500,000 women and giving your message. And we are just so happy that we can be counted among those women and we are so blessed to have you here, and we're glad that you said yes. So please welcome Sherry Rose. Well, good morning. Yes, as of 14 days ago, I am a Southern California resident. Still under boxes, without an assistant. So if any of you have administrative skills, I'll be taking interviews during the um, lunchtime. I went from three assistants to none. So, I am, but I'm so excited to be here. I've wanted to live in California for a long time. I was born and raised in California. My mom is here with me in the back. She was Miss California, and she just celebrated her birthday. And uh, mom, say hi. Do the little pageant wave. (laughs) And both my parents graduated from Hollywood High School, and um, I have been married 20 years. And my husband wants you to know that it's been seven of the best years of his life. And uh, I want you to know I'm not dying before him and letting any woman be, reap the benefits of my tears and training, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, I want to share with you this morning about freedom. This afternoon we're going to talk about leaving a legacy with our life and that our, the world would be a better place because we were here. And how do you do that? Uh, this is the first time I've ever spoken a dress. I've never even showed my legs before, so I feel so uncomfortable. I went to Ross and just found a dress. I live in California now, so I'm hoping it's okay that my knees are showing. But I just feel so awkward. I'm, <laughs> I'm used to wearing suits, you know, power suits, so you think I have it all together. You know, I'm here for, you know, 14 days. I'm already taking my clothes off. This state has really, really major impacts here. All right. Well, in- <laughs> My son is here, by the way, Jake, who just graduated from Master's Commission here in Los Angeles, California. Say hi, Jake. So he spent the last 10 months working with your gangs in the inner city and leading them to Christ, and uh, that has been a mother's nightmare. No, um, I am, I'm, I'm very, very proud of him. It was a little scary. And my daughter, Emily, say hi, Emily, is here with me. And... Um, We got pregnant with Jake on our honeymoon on birth control, and then we got pregnant with our daughter when I was 40 the night before my husband's vasectomy. So that worked well. Um, I like how you're all laughing at me already. May all of you that are over 40 get pregnant this week. (laughs) You know, Emily used to wear these great big bows in her head, and, you know, I lived in Oregon. Now, anybody here familiar with Sisters, Oregon? That's where I lived the first five years. Okay, you probably quilt, right? See, I knew that. I don't. Um, and then uh, we moved in Bend, Oregon after that for five years because I feel more secure when I'm by Costco. And, um, and I, you know, and, and but where Sisters, Oregon, no one puts bows in their little girl's hair. But when I found out I was having a daughter, I made the bows as big as her head and glue got them to those headbands and got binkies to match because, you know, why do bows if you're not going to have binkies to match? I mean, you do it all. And, and people would say to me often, well, how do you get this little girl to keep this bow in her head? You know, because no one in Oregon wears bows. I think they were Birkenstocks. And, and uh, you know, here people put hair in their head. There they braid it to their knees. I don't know. But, um, but I did not fit into Oregon. Let's just say I feel like I'm home. E.T.'s found home. But um, 
And I would say, look at me. I am over 40. I have not slept in two years, and she only nursed on the left side. She's going to wear the bow, okay? (laughs) I'm going to share about freedom this morning because we sing about freedom. We talk about freedom. We've got soldiers in Iraq fighting for freedom. We have America that was fought for freedom. But Christ died on the cross for our freedom. And I want to talk about how to actually live in that freedom. And I pray that you will be blessed by this message. And we're going to start with some truth in Deuteronomy 14.2, the word of God, the truth this morning. If you don't feel special, here is your word from the Lord, from his word. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession, Deuteronomy 14.2. He says, we are a treasure to him that he has chosen us. And I want to tell you something that this may relieve you. I had the privilege of speaking with Jennifer Rothschild recently, and she said something that I've never forgotten. How we feel about ourselves is not who we are. Because how we feel changes hourly, right? It changes with a good or bad hair day. It changes if you feel puffy. I mean, it changes daily. You know, there's a California word, puffy. You know, everybody in Oregon didn't care if they were puffy till I moved there. I've ruined them all. But we are a treasure. And, you know, I didn't know the king growing up. I didn't know that I was a treasure. I was raised Jewish. So this is the last place I ever thought I'd end up. And, yes, this is the last place my Jewish father thought I'd ever end up, is sharing at churches how Jesus Christ changed my life. And I know you're looking at me going, she doesn't look Jewish. I've had my nose fixed, okay? <laughs> and I bleach my hair, but these are my breasts, and thus they sag. Um, but I did know about all the, they're going, is she a Christian speaker? <laughs> you should see me at a retreat. <laughs> but I did know about the whole princess thing, because I, I was excited when I found out that when I became a Christian, that meant I was a daughter to the king of kings, which made me a princess. So if you know the Lord... You're a princess. And, of course, being raised the only daughter in a Jewish family, I understood the Jewish-American princess thing. And in 1994, I won the crown of Mrs. America. And that was 10 years ago, so get over it. I do age. And, um, and if you're looking for the difference between Miss America and Mrs. America, I want to clarify for you now, it is cellulite. So, um, but Jacob, who is now 19, was in kindergarten. He was six when I won that crown. And at show and tell, he was pretty excited about this. And so he went to show and tell, and he raised his hand. He goes, I want you all to know that the mo- my mommy is the new queen of our country, everyone. <laughs> and so when I came to pick Jacob up with no makeup on and gray sweats, and his teacher comes running out and goes, this is so cute. Your little boy loves you so much that he actually believes you're Mrs. America. I said, I am. She said, you're kidding. She expected me to pick him up in a float doing a figure eight wave. But I think we think God is kidding in John 15, 16. When he says, you did not choose me. I, the God of the universe, chose you. I appointed you to be my princess. I chose you, says the Lord in John 15, 16. Do you remember when you were a little girl, you believed you were a princess. You could go to Burger King, put on a cardboard crown. Maybe Burger King wasn't there when you were a little girl. But you could put on anything and believe we were a crown. We could drape a pillowcase. It was our robe. I mean, we thought we were, we knew actually that we were special. Something in us longed to be treasured in God saying, because I put that truth in you. And when you were a little girl, someone would ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you could confidently say what it was that your dream was. You could say, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I want to be, you know, the president. I guess that was Hillary. But I mean, you know, there's always, but you, whatever it was that you dreamed about being, you believe that and you knew it. That is a truth that God puts in the heart of every person. He gives us life and he gives us a dream. Because he wants us to do something with our lives that has left something behind us that actually has impacted the world around us. But there is an enemy in John 10.10 that the Bible warns us. There is an enemy of our soul that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he does that by allowing people to speak lies to us. And so when that lie is spoken, we have to make a choice that we are either going to believe man's lie or God's truth. 
And I remember when that lie was spoken to me when I was a junior in high school. I battle with dyslexia. I um, can only write books when God anoints me to write books. And, and the books how, how are four of them on the bestseller list right now at the same time. So, you know, he is God and I am not. <clears throat> but if you do purchase any of the books today, you will need to read them backwards. <laughs> but don't worry, they're still anointed. Just turn them upside down and start from the back and you've got yourself a good book. But um, and I tell people there was a time when dyslexia was a great benefit to me once I tried to take my life and I jumped behind the bus. But um, <laughs> people with the gift of mercy are going, should we laugh at her? That's not nice. But because they didn't know a lot about dyslexia when I was in high school, and because I was quite um, rebellious in high school as well, the teacher walked up to me in front of my friends and said, Sherry Rose, you were born to lose in life. You're never going to amount to anything. And at that moment, 16, my high school years went down the drain, as you can imagine. What happened at that moment is I canceled out my dreams I canceled out the truth, the treasure of truth that I'm loved and treasured, and I took on the lie. My new identity became, hi, I'm Sherry Rose, born to lose in life, will never amount to anything. Now let me make all the choices for the rest of my life of that. And that's what happens to us. And right now you're thinking in your mind of someone that said something to you and you believe that lie. That's what's happening right now. You're remembering a moment or when you bought a lie over truth of who God says you are. When you bought a lie of man over the truth of the God that gave his life for you so you could walk in freedom, knowing that he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to prove it. And, you know, we're not going to live in those lies anymore. Amen? In defense of her comment, she saw a rebellious teenager, 60 pounds overweight, using drugs, and after her lies, turned into drug addiction. After her lies, more weight gain, eating addictions, eating disorders, more rebellious. Because if I was going to lose in life, why try? And this is what's happening with our young people today. They're buying lies about themselves by what they watch on television, by the rap songs that are being sung to them, by the negativity that is being poured into them every day by their peers. And they're walking around going, why should I not be in a gang? Why should I not commit a crime? Why should I not live for myself? Because there's nothing to live for anyway. And the, the, the goal here is that we, as women princesses of the Lord, would begin to walk in truth, which will begin to change the next generation if we will begin to walk in truth, because they want to see a life living it. Why do you think they love reality shows? They want to see a real faith. They want to see that we believe the truth of God over the lies of man. And if we just do that, our life will leave a legacy. If anything that our daughters or sons or grandsons or nieces or nephews said, oh, I'm fat or I'm this or I'm that, you just call it right back out. That's a lie. The truth is you have a very major dream in your heart and you can pursue that if you believe truth over lies. The truth is you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The truth is God gave his life for you to walk in freedom from the lies that you're believing. That is the number one key to freedom. We think freedom means no tribulation, no problems. So what we do is to try to feel good about ourselves, instead of dealing with the root problem, the lies that we're buying, we try to build a life that feels like it's free or peaceful by the way we style our hair, by the car we drive, or by the house that we're living in, or by the job that we have, or by the image that we project of how spiritual we are, whatever it is that we're trying to build this, and we try to dodge pain at all cases, you know, don't walk through it, as God tells us to, but dodge it and pretend it doesn't exist, and then we internalize things, and then we're really not free. We're walking around singing about freedom and reading about freedom, but we're not living in freedom at all. Behind closed doors, we're living in bondage, and I'm sure that breaks God's heart. I'm really grateful that that English teacher didn't teach God's grammar lesson because God's grammar lesson is don't put a period where I have a comma because I have a plan for every life I create, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope 
and a future. You know, a pain-free life does not equal freedom at all. As a matter of fact, King Solomon was the only chosen one of God that God did grant a peaceful life for all of his days. He asked God for wisdom. God was pleased with that, that he could have anything he wanted, and he wanted wisdom to rule the people. God was so pleased with that that he actually granted him a life of peace. However, what I find interesting about King Solomon is even with God granting him a life fairly conflict-free and all the comforts that you'd ever want, if you'll read Ecclesiastes, this young king and his older years sums up life as meaningless. However, his father, King David, had the one thing that King Solomon didn't have. King Solomon did not have battles to fight. King David had many battles to fight, starting with his own father, who didn't even present him as one that could be the future anointed king. So we see in the story that he didn't even have a father that believed in him, but he had a heavenly father that believed in him that had a call on his life. You may have a father or a mother that doesn't believe in you or that has abused you or has rejected you. And you know what? You have a heavenly father that will never abuse you, never reject you, and does believe in you and does have a call in your life, just like he did on King David's life. King David fought many battles in his life. And what's interesting to me is the first battle that he fought publicly with a giant is what birthed his public ministry, isn't it? The other thing I have found with battles in my own life is that when I walk through trials and tribulation, it draws me closer to God. Who in this room can attest to that for yourself? When you are knowing that there's nothing you can do and you're stuck and you totally start to depend on God, all of a sudden you go, oh, my faith is real. I'm not just singing about it and going to church and going to Sunday school. God is alive and well. I have met people that have said, have had horrible stories, even worse than mine. And they have walked through stories and they've said, I would do it all again for the intimacy I have with God. And who in this room is a better person and closer to God? And you know something was carved in your character that made you who you are today because of pain. Raise your hand. It's amazing how God doesn't waste tears. We do. We do. But he doesn't. He doesn't waste pain. And, you know, David learned that nothing can cancel out the call of God on his life but him. Not King Saul trying to kill him. Not a father that rejected him. Not hiding out for a cave and all the people going, look at that wimp. He can't even stand up for himself to the king. How's he ever going to rule us? Nothing can cancel out the call of God on our lives but us believing lies about us. Us believing lies over truth. The lie would be, I'm so done, you would not believe the mistakes I've made or you don't know what's been done to me or who's hurt me or who's abused me. I am absolutely used up goods. That's the lie. The truth is God doesn't waste tears. God doesn't waste pain. He allowed those things for a divine purpose, and I'm going to not lay down. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to finish my life because never before has this country needed Christians to get up, put on their crown, and finish what they were called here to do. Amen? 25 Huh? Thank you. 25 years later from that English teacher telling me that I was born to lose, I was asked to come to this state and address 9,000 of your teachers. (laughs) I was real excited about that invitation. (laughs) And I was asked prior to coming to Southern California to address 9,000 teachers, I was asked to go to Northern California and address 4,500 more teachers. And when the president of the educational board for this state invited me to come, I said, are you out of your mind? Do you know anything about me? Because I'm sure that I am not the one to be speaking at an educational convention. I barely got out of high school. I was at, you know, and he said, well, no, I saw you on Inside Edition, and I could tell by your interview that you were quite the teacher's nightmare. And so I thought that you could come to the great state of California and give our teachers some hope. Now, there's an impressive bio, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Jesus came in in a donkey, so I guess I did. But, you know, and so I remember coming into the first part of that booking in Northern California, which is where I went to high school and junior high school. And I remember walking into this old convention center, so afraid. At that time, it was the largest audience I'd ever spoken in front of. And I just kept remembering all the lies. I'm born to lose. I don't belong here. I have dyslexia. I barely got out of high school. I don't have a college degree. 
I can't even speak. What am I doing here? All those lies that were going through my mind. And as I was fighting the battles of my mind, I was looking around the building going, this building looks so familiar to me. And God reminded me, you were in this building when you were in eighth grade singing about Satan with a Led Zeppelin band on drugs. And and at that moment, I realized I am not who I was. The Bible says I am a new creation in Christ, and I never have to stand up in my own confidence again. I can stand up in my confidence in Christ because he can do all things through me, but I can't do anything on my own. But I can do anything through him, and he can work through us. And so I got up in his confidence, and I talked to them about how they don't get paid what they deserve, but they have the most valuable job in our country because they're educating our future leaders. And I'll tell you, I ended up getting a standing ovation for my greatest fear. I think they bought all the books on my table because they felt guilty for what the English teacher said to me. (laughs) Guilt works. You know, people do often ask me, you know, how did you get past your background, your broken home, and your poor choices, and your eating disorder, and your depression, and all the lies that you were told? I had an, you know, our homecoming king invited me to the beach party and said he I needed to be there because they needed a whale at the party you know I mean all the things that have been fed to me as lies and my answer is in second Corinthians three seventeen, where the spirit of the Lord is he gives us freedom and this message that we're about to talk about now is about winning the greatest battle of all the battle that we women fight daily it's the battle in our minds because if we can d- win that battle We can pretty much win anything because then we won't walk in lies anymore. We'll walk in truth. And a princess of God that walks in truth is an effective life and a life well lived because we're no longer living life by our circumstance or how we feel about ourselves or who did what to us or what lie we believe, but we're walking in truth of who God says we are and believing that he will do what he said he will do. And I believe Jesus paid too great a price on that cross for us to live powerless lives. So I want you to repeat this with me. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. Do you believe that truth? All right. Well, we're going to talk about freedom. I'm breaking it down into an acronym. If you're looking for a short summer study, I've got a DVD series on the back with all this teaching and two more teachings that on relationships, the art of loving one another, or I title it, Can't You Just Kill Them and Tell God They Died? But you know, however you want to look at it. Um, I'm not teaching our relationships today, but it will change your life. This message is on that DVD and the third message, and the message I'm doing this afternoon, the third message on the DVD. And you can go through a quick study, a quick three-week study with some friends and get some more people free, amen? But we're going to break down the acronym of freedom, and we're going to start with an F. So you have to give me an F, and if you're not loud, I'm not giving you the answer. Give me an F. F. That's okay. Give me an F. A little bit better. She didn't say it. Give me an F. F. Okay. All right. The F in freedom. The first thing, if we're going to walk in freedom, is we're going to have to find the root, the pain, the problem. What is it that's hindering us from becoming the best version of ourselves? What's stopping us from walking in this freedom that Christ gave his life for? We have to find it. Because if you're in a war with an enemy and you know you have to fight for your freedom, there's a spiritual battle going on according to the word of God. So we have to find what it is we're fighting, right? Because if we can find that, I mean, it's kind of like when you ate four pounds of chocolate and you're going, am I out of my mind? Then the next day, you know, something starts and you're like, oh, no, I wasn't. I was hormonal. You know, you you find the answer. You're going, I don't eat four pounds of chocolate. Only you do. I'm perfect. But, But if we don't find it, it finds us. And I'll tell you what happens is we are told in 2 Peter 2, 9, we are a slave to whatever controls us or whatever has mastered us. If you want to know what's controlling you or what has mastered you, you need to think about what you think about most of the time. If you are, and what you feel most of the time. Or is fear what controls you? Is anxiety what controls you? So if it doesn't, if we don't find it, it finds us in severe exhaustion. I'm not talking about being tired because you didn't get a good night's sleep or a hard week. I'm talking about never-ending exhaustion or never-ending depression. We all have depression, but I'm talking about that heavy can't get rid of depression. It finds us in eating addictions or eating disorders or control issues or excessive busyness 
or anger that's out of control, unhealthy relationships, different faces, but over and over again, an unhealthy relationship, approval addict, where I tell you this is one thing, and emotionally out of control, one thing that I have noticed about us women, and here's why we are not walking in freedom, is just visualize this for me right now. A ball and a chain on your ankle, that's the lies that you believe about yourself. So you're dragging that, and in front of you is an empty bucket that you won't let God fill up, and you're going out to the world who can't do a thing for you and saying, fill me, I'm an approval addict. Tell me I'm okay, tell me I'm okay. So you're dragging a ball of chain of lies, and you're walking with an empty bucket. Does that sound like a life that will make a difference in anybody's? Does that sound like the kind of life we want to live? But it's the life that most of our young girls are living today, by the way. They're walking around just like that. And that's why there's millions of eating disorders going on and mass amounts of depression. And they're cutting themselves and having sex out of marriage because that's really what's happening. They've got this ball of lies and this empty bucket. And, you know, when I first told people, because we do live in fantasy land in Oregon, and the area is very, very, very low crime and it does kind of feel like it's fantasy land. And when I told people in Oregon that I was moving to Southern California, they said, why would you do that? The traffic, the smog, the people are so rude. They're so into themselves. And you're just all these things that they're afraid of Californians. And my answer was this. We're not going to withdraw from the people. We're going to deposit in. And if God is depositing into you, and we can cut that chain loose today, and that chain, that ball of lies is left here, and you can stop holding this bucket out and hold the bucket up, you will be walking through this world as a princess of the Lord because people will think of you as royalty. Why? Because you're pouring into them instead of taking out of them. How much do you see people need to be poured into? See, if we worried more about blessing people instead of impressing people, we would become a true princess of the Lord. If we were looking more for what we can give and not what we can get, we would truly find freedom and we would walk in a different confidence because our life would matter. But if we walk around and we don't know what the root of that chain is, we can't break that chain free till we find out what the lie is that we've believed. Emotional pain is how you find it out. What you're feeling is a warning from God. So emotions aren't something to ignore. We're not Barbies with a Bible. Hi, I'm perfect. Me too. Everything's great. Me too. Never had a problem in my life. Me neither. What a coincidence. You know, I mean, that is, that is not what we're called to do. And that doesn't glorify God <clears throat> at all. What glorifies God is when you learn what it is that's hindering you and you break free from it and you walk in victory and people go, wow, wow. You, you walk through that and you still have joy whoa, you're, you still pray? You still, you still go to church and you had to go through that? You love God? I mean, for a princess of God, pain is your time to shine. Because anybody can be wonderful when life is wonderful, whether you're a Christian or not. And life isn't wonderful very often anymore. So we need to learn what is it, find that root, because that pain that God sends us is a warning. It's not something to be ignored. It's just like if our gas light goes off in our car, we can put a piece of tape over it and pretend we don't need gas. We can even put a rhinestone on it and bling it. But it's still going to run out of gas. There's no way that it's going to fill up unless God himself fills us up. So those warning signs, we all have things that, you know, life happens. How many of you have lived long enough to know that? How many in this room are living the life they didn't sign up for? Yeah, and it wasn't even your fault. You have nothing to do with it. You just people. You know, I used to think I'd be a perfect Christian if I didn't have to deal with people, you know. But what happens is we don't understand that, okay, I'm buying these lies. I have this empty bucket out here. I've got this thing tormenting me, and I'm, I'm a Christian, so I, I better ignore it instead of find out what it is. And we end up in such bondage that we cannot find our way out, and that's when it begins to find us. And we are in a private prison, no matter how it's decorated, in our hearts, in our minds, it feels like prison. And we feel lonely in there. And so what we do is we try to decorate our lives and impress each other and do more stuff because that will make us feel better about ourselves. And I found a card, a Martha Stewart card, that kind of describes us women trying to impress each other and try to pretend everything's great and we can handle it all. 
Martha Stewart would be so proud of me. I made this card all by myself. I planted the tree and then I grew it. I cut it down, then I milled the paper. I pressed the flowers and I made the ink. I engraved the stamp, dyed the envelope, boiled the glue, all while vacuuming the house, preparing dinner for eight, nursing the baby, talking on the phone, exercising, then getting beautiful for my husband. I am now resting under heavy sedation with Prozac I made all by myself. (laughs) And, And God is saying, it doesn't need to be that hard. I am here, I have sent you a warning, and I want you to give it to me. You find the root with a piece of paper and a prayer. Blank piece of paper and a prayer. God, I am so out of control in this area. God, I cannot control my eating. God, I cannot control my excessive busyness. God, I cannot handle a day unless 40 people tell me I'm the most incredible person in the world. Whatever it is, and you, and you get quiet with him, and you say, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, show me the root that's causing me to react or act this way so I can walk in freedom. And then you'd be still and believe me, it will come and write it down. Because when you write it down, it becomes real. Because if we continue to pretend to, and pretend that we're perfect and pretend to try to be free and try to do all this stuff to create this image that makes us feel good about ourselves, you know what? It's stressful. And stress is just not a good thing. We can't even remember half of what we tried to create we don't even we've lost who we are in trying to create an image that we want you to like and you know my stepmom used to say to me you'd care so much less about what people think about you if you realize how little they ever thought about you because they're not thinking about you they're thinking about what you think about them and you're thinking about what they think about you and and no one's getting free and no one's filling each other up because we're trying to impress each other and that's a stressful life and stress isn't a good thing i have a question though Uh, maybe someone can answer this I want someone in this room, if you can, to tell me why our buns and thighs do not get as tight as our neck and shoulders when we're stressed. (laughs) I mean, no benefit to the stress. No one ever comes up to me and goes, nice neck, it's tight. (laughs) Give me an R. R. The R is, so we found the root now. We've written it down. We understand that we don't have to live in this private prison anymore. God's shown us what it is. And the R is we run to God now, which means we run to his word on that subject. We run to him in prayer. We run to him in praise. We run to him and see what it is he'd have us to do. We maybe run to a Christian counselor that has wisdom that can help us through this situation or a godly woman that you can confide in that will help walk you through it. But the Bible does not say, be anxious for everything and let all your requests be known to anyone who's willing to listen to you. That it does not say. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. In Psalm 34, 17, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. Zechariah 4, 6. I am the Lord all-powerful, so don't depend on your own strength, but on my spirit, says the Lord. How many of you have played Junior Holy Spirit and tried to correct your own life? Does it work out very well? So one of the ways that you run to him is next time you're stressing about money, house, grandchildren, children, whatever it is that we tend to run to everybody else, like we run to chocolate, we run to that poor boy that is at the grocery store. He is just there as a cashier all he did was make the mistake of saying how you doing today (laughs) ma'am you begin to unload on him and you're scaring him to ever grow up and get married (laughs) he cannot help you your manicurist cannot help you unless she's a professional counselor too which she should be paid for your hairdresser cannot help you the food cannot help you god is saying i want you to run to me so the first thing that i do when i stress about how are we going to pay for this how are we going to do this how's this going to work Whatever it is that I stress out, we're going to say this out loud together. He is God, and I am not. Does that feel good? It's his deal. King Hezekiah had a whole army coming towards him. He was handed a note that said, your people are going to die. You're done. And he knew there's no way he could fight those people. So he did something so extraordinary. He took that note. He went in before God's altar. He spread the note out in front of God's altar, and here's what he said to God. You appointed me in this position as king. I did not appoint myself. Therefore, God, this is not my fight. 
This is your fight. And God caused all those soldiers to die before they ever hit that city. If you have a child that's in rebellion, you say to God, I didn't pick this child. You did. (laughs) You appointed me to be his mother. Therefore, I'm in this position, but this is your problem, God. You deal with him, and he will. But when we try to play God and we carry the burdens that we weren't created to carry, doesn't that make you look good and feel good? No. It stresses us to the maximum capacity, and it doesn't work. How do we run to him? Well, when people ask me, how did you get past your past? Here's my answer. I cried out to God every time it hurt because I read the Psalms. And King David says he's a man after God's own heart, and he is a crybaby. And if you read the Psalms, he told God everything you could imagine. He was so honest with God. Anything that was bugging him, he told God. I remember one time I asked this woman. She was really struggling in her marriage. Her husband wasn't very kind. And I said, do you pray scripture over your husband? And she goes, oh, honey, faithfully, every night before he goes to bed, I lay hands on his forehead and I say, dear Jesus, I pray Psalm 109.8. And Psalm 109.8, you know what that is? May his days be few and another take his place in leadership. that was a prayer that God prayed. I mean, that David prayed to God over someone. I wouldn't want to be under that prayer, but he did pray that prayer. I think it was under, over Saul. But, you know, he was very real with God because who can handle your heart better than God? Can you handle your own heart? No way. If I try to handle my own heart, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to react off emotion. But if I cry out to God, you know, if something hurts me, I tell God about it. If one of you hurt me today, I'm telling God on you. You know, I just, yeah, I just get real with God and say, I can't handle the way I'm feeling right now, Lord. You need to do something about it. Before I was even coming here, I am under boxes. I can't find my stuff. I can't find my notes. I feel overwhelmed. And all the way here, I said, God, you know what? I'm not going to even pretend I'm all together. I'm not. I am totally falling apart right now, and you're, this is your deal. You plan this day. You better show up. And he is always faithful. So you cry out to him when it hurts and you praise him through pain because you're only going to go from victory to victory. If you remember in your life, I think you've had a problem before today that God might have helped you with. You think? Okay. And at that time, you didn't know how you were going to get through it, but somehow God did carry you through it. So praise is not denying the problem. It's pointing to God as the the answer, as the power. So when you think about pain, think about Acts 16. Think about Apostle Paul. Read it when you're wondering, should I praise God in a painful place? And around midnight, it says in Paul, Apostle Paul is in prison. It's Acts 16. He's in prison unjustly with Silas. It says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors flew open and the chains fell off of every prisoner. What's interesting to me is they begin to praise God through pain and their chains fell off. But the people that were listening's chains fell off is also. When we are in trouble and people say to us, where was God in that? Or how are you going to get through this? You know, I don't know, but I'm going to praise him because I know he will get me through this. And then as he does deliver you through that, what happens is then the chains of other people begin to fall off because they want the keys to freedom that you had that made you walk through that same situation. So we don't need to pretend. We need to praise our deliverer. And we'll be singing as King David did in Psalm 40, verse 3. He has given me a new song to sing, David says. Now, this is after coming out of a horrible situation. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done, and they will be astounded, and they will put their trust in the Lord. I have walked through some major trials myself, and people have said, I don't know how you're doing this. And I said, I'm not. God is carrying me through this, and people have come to know the Lord once God carried me to the other side. Give me an E. First E is... I need some water. Emmy, can you bring mom some water? Thank you. Eliminate the enemy's weapons. 
Where is the battle? Right. In our mind, our thoughts. So would you think what we read and what we watch might impact how we think? A little? So if we're listening to music that has negative messages, if we're reading things that have negative messages, if we're watching the news right before we go to sleep, are we going to be feeling happy and peaceful? Thank you, honey. We're not. We're going to be worried. We're going to buy lies. We're going to think all is hopeless. Another person was murdered, robbed, raped, killed. The world's coming to an end. I can't eat lettuce. I can't eat peas. Whatever it is I ate, I'm going to die tonight from cancer. I shouldn't have had that immunization. I should have it. What do I do? It's just the never-ending fear, isn't it? What you might be eating tonight may kill you. Tune in. They don't even know what you're eating, but you're sure it's going to kill you. And so, and if you think about when you read through a beauty magazine, how do you feel about yourself? I mean, do you look up at God and go, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for the size of my thighs, God. And, and not only are we not free by putting the enemy's weapons in our mind, by reading stuff we shouldn't be reading, listening to stuff, watching TV that stands against everything we believe in, not only are we not free, we become Eeyore. Yes, Eeyore, in Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. Remember what he would always say? What would he say when he walked into the room? It's going to be another bad day. You know, if you're lonely right now and you're not invited to a whole lot of lunches with girlfriends, you might want to see if you're Eeyore. Because what happens to Eeyores that read the, watch the news all the time is they will be at lunch and everybody's having a wonderful time until Eeyore comes in and tells all the horrible things that she watched on TV last night and all the things you have to be fearful of. And by the time that you're done with the lunch, you're all like, I need chocolate. Just get me out of here. You know, if people are exiting from you quickly, it's because you're Eeyore. You, and so you want, to, you want to be aware of this because if you don't have friends, life's not that fun anyway. Now, well, maybe it is. Sometimes it is if you don't have people in your life. But, but, but you will find that the battles in your own mind, the way you relate to people, the way you see the world. I mean, can you imagine if you read the word instead of listening to the news before you went to sleep and you had your Christian praise music on and you could just get the highlights of the news on the Internet or in the paper and you could be praying for those situations, take your appointed position instead of having that, which is going on in the world, paralyze you from being the princess God called you to be, paralyze you from being the person you desire to be. We don't want to walk in hopelessness, do we? Does anybody here want to walk in hopelessness? Who wants to be remembered for being Eeyore? No one. We want to be Winnie the Pooh. Cute and cuddly, kind of in our own little happy world. You don't want to be Tigger either, where you bulldoze everybody. It's great to be me. That's a whole other message. Now, I'm not saying that all television is bad or all magazines are bad or all media is bad. And, you know, and usually women could, like, have the TV on and be cooking and talking on the phone and doing their makeup all at the same time. But have you ever seen our boys or our men when the TV goes on? Let me show you their faces. <laughs> Honey, move. We lose them, don't we? I mean, seriously, you could dance naked in front of them. They don't care. They're the, the TV's on. It's some commercial they don't care about, but move. You know, but you know, we do want to be careful because even our cartoons teach our kids how to disrespect parents. Even the peanuts didn't give the parents a voice. Wah, 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 wah. That was the voice of a parent. So we have to ask ourselves, are we trading what we want most for a moment's pleasure? Or are we just trained and sucked into a thousand channels for $39 a month that totally pollute our minds and our spirits and make us heavy? Jesus I mean, Joshua twenty four fifteen. Can you imagine if each one of us in this room, the hundred of us, times 365 days a year, were reading the Bible and praying and going out making deposits instead of withdrawals and saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A hundred households that live for God. Pretty amazing. 365, that's 3,600 days a year of doing something to deposit in to society because we're no longer Eeyores. 
we're going to walk as his princess. And when people are with us, they're going to go, I'm so glad she shopped here. I feel so good when she goes through my line. They'll be fighting for you to be in their line at the grocery store. They'll, they'll be putting you in first when you go to get your nails done. You will no longer wait. Because they will want to be near you. Because they will feel refreshed when they're with you. And the word of the Lord in Proverbs says, those who refresh others are themselves refreshed. How many of you have refreshed someone else and you do feel better yourself? No one ever feels good being the bearer of bad news, so let's not do that anymore. Amen? The next E, give me an E. If you didn't hate me for the first one, you'll hate me for this one. No. Um, We need to eat as a princess. We need to eat for victory. The reason why I say this is I'm not talking about weight. Anybody can be skinny on Diet Cokes and caffeine and starving themselves. I'm not talking about skinny. I'm talking about exhaustion. I'm talking about our heads being fogged. I'm talking about the church being in a carbohydrate coma. And what happens when we're in carbohydrate comas is we're not effective. And if we're not taking care of God's temple, and I want to tell you, I want you to think about something with me. I can talk about this because I fought an inner war with my weight all of my life. I've been 60 pounds overweight, and I've been on the cover of Fit Magazine. I've paid for my best friend's brother to take me to the prom, and I won Mrs. America. I know what it's like to battle with an eating disorder. I had it for four years, and I know what it's like to walk in freedom from food controlling my life. And I begin to think about why do so many women battle with this issue with food? And it occurred to me that the first fall of man had to do with woman and a food. I mean, I'm sure there was chocolate on that apple. Okay, let's give her that. (laughs) But it's interesting to me that she wasn't even aware of her body until she sinned with food. And we have been battling really ever since. This goes way back. This isn't just in this new thing in this generation. We just have less clothes in this generation, so more body to show. But, you know, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert. For the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this is a fact that he, when we are tired, we don't want to deal with anything, do we? We're just like, oh, I'm too tired to deal with this. I do not want to, too tired to go to Bible study. I'm too tired to pray. I'm too tired to help my neighbor. I'm too tired to deal with my family, my marriage. And that is where Satan would like us, is exhausted. I once read a bumper sticker that said, Lord, if I can't be thin, make all my friends fat. But again, I'm going to read John 10.10 again. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. As long as we make God's temple our trash can, we can help him destroy our bodies one meal at a time. Again, this isn't about weight. It's about our minds being clear and about having enough energy, especially the older we get, the more energy we're going to need because we're finally wise enough to live a life that matters. And so we want to be able to share that wisdom. We want to be able to use that wisdom. We want to be able to enjoy our lives. You know, Daniel is a great example to us in the Word of God. Daniel refused to defile God's temple, his body, and he ate the right way for the right reasons, and God blessed him with superior health, favor, strength, and wisdom. Who would like those four things? Superior, and in 3 John 2, God says to you, Beloved, I wish above all things. So this is all things, two things he wishes, that your soul would prosper and that you would experience good health. Because if your soul is prospering and you're experiencing good health, you're a powerful woman. (laughs) You're an effective woman of God. So he doesn't want us to just sit in church and hear the word and not be able to live the word. Here's what helps me, and you can say this out loud whenever you're feeling tempted to drink or eat artificial foods or foods that will make you tired. Say this with me. No food tastes as good as being healthy feels. That really helps me. I really believe that Whole Foods should give me a green rhinestone crown and a banner that says Miss Whole Foods. (laughs) But us in California especially don't have an excuse. We have Trader Joe's. We have Whole Foods. We have organic everything everywhere. I think, you know, here they probably have organic gas. I don't know. But they have everything organic here. You can walk on our organic sidewalks. I mean, they're just amazing how health conscious this state is. And if we're not in Barbie bondage, that's a good thing. If we're in Barbie bondage, it's a bad thing. That's a whole other message. But 
eating to win victory, eating for God's glory, saying, I love you so much, Lord, that I'm going to sacrifice the drinks and the foods that make me tired because I'd rather accomplish your will today in my life than cave into my cravings. Totally different perspective, isn't it? Give me a D. The D is in freedom. Do what God tells you to do. And the best way for me to explain this is if we kind of do what God tells me to do, or I kind of serve God, or I, I'm, you know, better than you are, and I, I do more than you do, and we start doing that comparison game, then it's kind of like this. What if I were to tell you that at our break, we have made you some organic, all-natural, amazing chocolate chip cookies? I mean, fresh out of the oven. As soon as we get out of here, we're going to have them. And they are amazing, and they're not going to make us fat or tired or puffy or anything. And, and all I just, just, I hope you don't mind, I did put a tiny bit of doggy doo in them. What are you going to focus on? This is what happens when we tell people we are a Christian. And we have a tiny bit of doggy doo in our walk with God. The people are not going to focus on what you said. They're going to focus on how you live. And they need to see it lived. Doing what God tells us to do, it's like we cannot have wisdom without reading the word. Who here has figured it out themselves without the word? We cannot have power in our life without praying. We will not have good health if we trash God's temple. God's love is unconditional. But his promises are conditional. Deuteronomy chapter 30, right before Moses passed away, he was telling God's people, God wants to bless you so much. But your blessing is dependent upon your obedience. And he says, if you don't obey the Lord, not only will you rip yourself off of God's blessing, it says you will lift his shield of protection off of you. If you don't tithe to your church, you lift his shield of protection off your finances. If you do not take care of God's temple, you lift his shield of protection off your health. If you do not pray, you lift a shield of protection off of you to be able to cover you. See, and if you look at the world around you, would you like to see the shield of protection that's been lifted off of those that have turned from God? It's pretty scary what's going on out there right now. Because people have said, I, well, I'm spiritual. I'm a nice person. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't think I'm a nice person. There's nothing good in me but Christ alone. I think once we really get that, and he is the only one that knows how to live, help us live our lives because he's the author of life. And, you know, his way doesn't always make sense. When Moses was in front of that sea, can you imagine his human thoughts? I mean, he had just come up against the Pharaoh. God had proved his power by all these plagues on the Egyptian enemies. He, they just took all the goodies of the Egyptians that gladly gave it to them. They're headed out to the promised land, and there's a little issue. There is a sea of hopelessness in front of them, and there is some very angry enemies that just lost their firstborn sons charging at them. What do you think he was thinking in his human mind? This is awesome. This is what I call freedom. No, it wasn't what he was thinking at all. I'm sure he was thinking, God, are you out of your mind? We're standing in front of a sea of hopelessness. And you know what? God took that sea of hopelessness, that what he thought was the end, parted it for them to walk to the other side and use that same hopelessness to destroy the Egyptian enemies once and for all. Many times what we think is the hopelessness is carving something in our character that will keep us free forever, once and for all. Because that thing won't bug us anymore. That person, those lies, whatever that is, because we have realized and learned to walk in trusting him and doing what he has asked us to do. Amen? Give me an O. I have two more. O and M and we're done. O is if we're in a battle, we need to, O, operate in our appointed position in life. That goes back to your dream, what you're gifted to do, what God has given you passion. What is your appointed position? Your appointed position is your passion. There's something that moves you. Is it orphans? Is it children? Is it music? Is it art? Is it decorating and making people's environments nicer? Is it writing poetry? Is it serving? Is it greeting people? Something 
that you come to life? Is it, you know, some people love to host. Other people freak out when people are coming to their home. If you freak out, find your friends that love to host and throw your parties at their house. You know, I mean, I don't know what it is, but there's an appointed position that each one of us have. There's something, and there's also Romans 12:6, something that you do naturally, and, and you can look that up. It could be serving. It could be teaching. It could be leading. It could be, in my case, in Romans 12:6, my gift is encouraging. I can't help but encourage. I've actually had my sisters-in-law say these comments to me. We're going to go shopping today. There are some great sales. Can you leave the hurting people alone so we can get to them? No, it's impossible. My gift is encouraging. To me, encouraging someone that's a perfect stranger in a mall is 100 times more exciting than finding the best outfit I've ever seen because that's what I am created to do. I can't help it. We all have different gifts. You know, I have one gift. It's my mouth, and I know I need to use it for more than eating. And, and we all have our different gifts, something that brings you to life. You know, some of you just love children. You still wish you had children. You never got children. Then volunteer in children's ministry and get your baby fixed. Or go out once a week, get a single mom and babysit for her and give her a break for three hours a day. You give her a break. You bless her. You bless. So others are like, I've had my babies. I don't want to hold yours. Go away. <laughs> my shoulders are finally not tight. Hold your own child. You know, but you know your different gifts and what you, you know, for me, I didn't know that I had an appointed position. I didn't, because I have dyslexia, because I had an English teacher that told me I was born to lose. And I didn't, I'll share with you after lunch about how I got saved. But before I became a Christian, I especially didn't know I had any gifts. And even after, I kind of wondered, well, what could God do with my life, you know? And then I was... My husband, by the way, my father-in-law is a principal for a high school. Now, that's not a fear for someone like me. <laughs> my mother-in-law is a librarian, and my two sisters-in-laws are teachers. And my husband has the spiritual gift of teaching. Please pray for me. Now, <laughs> anyway, I only saw the principal when I was in trouble. I was, like, scared to meet my own father-in-law. But um, he's a high school principal. Are you sure? <laughs> but... Um, my husband went to seminary here at Talbot University, and he wanted me to go to this dinner with him with all these Bible professors. I said, honey, there's no way. That's too much education for me. I'm way too intimidated by that. And he said, just don't talk. I said, yeah, right. That's going to happen. And, and so we went together to this dinner, and I tried not to talk. And I almost made it to the whole dinner without talking. I was proud of myself. And right at the end, this woman says to me in front of everybody, hey, you haven't said anything all night. And we heard that you were fat and Jewish and on drugs, and we were thinking you could tell us your story during dessert. <laughs> and they began to ask me all these questions about my testimony, and I started answering their questions. And a few weeks later, that lady that embarrassed me called me at my house. She said, can I ask you a favor? I'm really in a bad place right now, and I need some help. I'm like, I'll help you off a bridge. And, <laughs> and, and she's... She says, I have a speaker that was supposed to come address 400 Christian leaders, and this was in Arizona at the time. And by the way, if you've never been to Arizona, just go home tonight and stick your blow dryer on high and put it in your mouth. But um, <laughs> and, and I, I said to her, I, she said, Can you, I thought you could come and fill in and share that story. I said, lady, I'm not a speaker. Are you out of your mind? I'm not going to share with 400 Christian leaders that have never sinned before either. I mean, I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know the scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God at that time. I didn't get saved till I was 24. And she said, Sherry Rose, God didn't pull you out of the dark place in your life for you to keep it to yourself. He pulled you out because he wants you to pull others out also. Well, I'm Jewish, so you can manipulate me by guilt. So I said yes. She gave me 45 minutes. I took 15 and ran off that stage. And thank God I never had to do that again. <laughs> Here I am 15 years later, booked through 2010 with 100 churches on a wait list. We were number one show on Focus on the Family last year, and we didn't even turn in the CD. Some church sent the CD in. But, you know, he is God, and we are not. And every one of us has a story to share you know, you don't have to have a rebellious testimony to share Christ. The biggest testimony are those that don't. 
Because anybody that can walk with God all the days of their life in a, in, in a generation like we live in now, that's the real testimony, in my opinion. And I was led to the Lord by two missionaries that have walked with God all the days of their life that had nothing in common with me. But their life and their love for God and the fact that they did make it through life following God all their days is what led me to Christ. Because sometimes we feel, here's another lie we believe. Well, I don't have a story like that. Or I can't talk like that. You know, you can pray for people silently. They don't even have to know you ever prayed for them. You walk right by a group of gang members or someone that's hurting and go, I just pray for them in Jesus' name. Be so ever real in their life. You can do an act of service. When you're making food, make a little extra and drop it off down the street to parents that both have to work or a single mom. There's lots of ways to glorify God with our gifts. It isn't just those with big mouths. Very many ways. Matter of fact, better we talk less. But, you know, if we operate in God confidence and not our own, Moses was speech impaired. Joseph was rejected by his family, falsely accused of murder and rape. He ended up in a prison and finished in a palace. David, the shepherd boy that didn't have a father that believed in him. Mary, she was just a teenager. We know the story today is Christmas. But if your teenager came up and said, yeah, mom, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Nine months delivering the Son of God, just wanted you to know. (laughs) But she had to operate in her appointed position, whether anybody believed her or not. And Sarah was in menopause. God still gave her a baby. That was her appointed position. Not menopause. (laughs) Give me an M. In closing, the M is move on. Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past, for I'm doing a new thing. I've been given an hour to speak to you. I have a few minutes left. And I will tell you, if you'll notice in this hour that I've spoke to you, I've shared with you a little bit about my testimony. You'll have to read one of my books to get the deep details. But the whole purpose of me not sharing with you every horrible thing I've ever walked through in life is because if I were to take 45 minutes of that hour, not only would you be depressed, but it's not my counseling session, but also I would be giving more glory to the devil than to God. But if I am sharing all that God has done in my life and all that God can do in your life and his word, And his truth, what happens? You're uplifted. You're encouraged. All of a sudden you go, and this is why God is saying in Isaiah 43, 18, I want you to forget the former things. I don't want you to dwell on the past. I am doing a new thing. He doesn't want our past to torment us. He just wants to teach us, learn from it, and move forward. We need to leave our past where it belongs, at the cross. We've never, ever, ever, are you in a place in your life right now that it's not too late to get up and win? You could have been Eeyore all your life. You could have never witnessed to one person. You could have not done one single act of service. And God would call you here today and say, you know what? It's time now to put on your crown. Recognize that you're a daughter of the King of Kings. And I want you to complete the call of God you have on your life from this day forward. We can't change what's behind us. I can't change any of the mistakes I've made, any of the things that I've done that I regret. I can't change a single thing I've done behind me. I can only change now. It's never too late to get up and win. One of my favorite scriptures is in Proverbs. It's encouraging to me. Proverbs 24, 16. Even if the godly, so I'm not godly people, fall seven times, they always get back up. You know, when I was in my very first beauty pageant, I just saw 60 pounds. It was Miss San Jose, California, and it was evening gown competition. I want you all to raise your right hand. Okay, elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. There you go. If you have big hair... Shake your neighbor. There you go. You got it. Okay. And um, so, you know, it was evening. I've never been thin in my whole life. Never felt pretty before ever. You know, remember I was Sherry the Whale that paid for the prom date. So this was like a big moment for me. 19 years old, and I was doing my little figure eight wave, and I didn't see the end of the runway because of the spotlight. I walked right off of it and fell into the judge's table. I'm telling you, I hurt myself. And, 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 you know, when you do something embarrassing, why is always people there to see it? Have you ever noticed that? Who in this room, honestly, has had your best hair day right before you fall asleep? (laughs) Have you ever combed out your hair and went, this is how I wanted it to look. I think I'll sleep sitting up. And so I'm down there on the floor, and I'm hurting, and I'm embarrassed. And I literally still had this thought, though. I still want to win. And, you know, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to finish their life strong. I used to be the fundraiser for Teen Challenge for four years. I've met 
people that have fallen as low as you can possibly go. And none of them didn't want to get up and win if they thought that they could. They just didn't think they could get up. They believed lies. It's too late. That's a lie. I can't get up after this. That's a lie. You can, in Christ's strength, you can get up, and he will use pain for a purpose. And so I didn't know God at this time, and so I just wanted to win a crown appointed by man. So I got back up on the stage, and I dragged my hurt hip like this, and I grabbed the microphone, composed myself the best I could with my torn up ground, and went, Hi, I'm Sherry Rose, contestant number 17, and I just wanted you to remember me. And I won. (laughs) And you know what they told me? They did not have me even picked for the top 10 prior to that. And the only reason why they said they ended up picking me to win is because the way I reacted to the fall. And the reason why I share this story is no matter where you've fallen, your family is watching, how you choose to react to that fall right now, not what you did yesterday, not what you said last week, not what you regret. We all have regret, but it's covered in the blood. Praise the Lord for that. So before we take our break... We're going to do something very special. And would you be willing to play your guitar for me while we do this for a moment with just some music? That would be awesome. We have something very special up here. Take your little post-it that I gave you. And I decided I'm going to put these trash cans in front of the cross. We have one here and one here. And what we're going to do is you're going to write down a lie that you've believed. It's too late. Your son will never get saved. You'll, you don't think you're pretty. You don't think you're smart. Whatever that lie is, whatever lie it is, a lie that has kept you from the freedom that Christ died for. And you know, when Jesus died on the cross, the very last thing he said before he died, does anybody know? It is finished. It is finished. He closed. He gave his life. And he said, it is finished, meaning you're free. I gave my life for yours, my last breath. So when you write down that lie, you're going to throw it in the trash. You're going to look at the cross, and you're going to say those words. It is finished. And then if at lunchtime I find you trying to dig the lies out, I will push you down (laughs) really hard. And I won't say I'm sorry. Because we did not come this way to visit with you and get up at 4 o'clock this morning for you to get the trash back. And every time that you begin to believe that lie, you're going to remember that you already threw that in the trash. That's a lie. And you're going to say, it is finished. There, you can walk in the true freedom that God sent his son for. Amen? And then when we come back, I'm going to give away some gifts, but we're going to get everybody free from lives first. So you can, that would be wonderful. And whenever you're ready, just come forward, throw it in the trash, look at the cross, say, it is finished. 